The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Welcome to the Women's Sanctuary, the podcast about tending the soul of women, sisterhood, and the rise of the sacred feminine. I'm your host, Arlia Hoffman. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Women's Sanctuary. This is Arlia, and um, I have a I have a gift for you today. I'll call it a gift. It is um, it's a conversation I've been thinking about for quite a while, and it popped up recently with. Um, with an interaction uh, with on Facebook with my friend Julie Greenberg, and who's um, who's been a connection for years, and so I've watched her process, and so it felt like just the perfect time for a conversation. Um, Julie and I both have um, experienced um, a challenging relationship with our fathers, and they have each since passed, and. You know, as she has navigated that process, it has helped me reflect on my own. And so I'm hoping that today what our conversation will offer you is some insight into if you have had a difficult relationship with your father or a different family member or someone else in your life, how, how the arc of that relationship might unfold and, um, what happens when they pass. And it's, you know, it's, it's a an entire rainbow of experience and emotions. I know it was for me. And at the time that my father passed, I didn't have any context for that. I didn't have anybody else to look to to help me understand what was happening. Um, so I hope in that regard, this is helpful for you. So uh, I'm going to tell you a little about, bit about Julie. Julie Greenberg is an intuitive lifestyle and wellness coach, empowering women to expand their sense of self-trust, personal satisfaction, and fulfillment. Within her unique hybrid practice, Nourish, Nurture, Nest, love that, Julie provides an integrated approach to holistic wellness through mind, body, and spirit connection. With her full presence, grace, and compassion, Julie offers her clients gentle guidance, inspiration, and tools and practices for making empowered choices so they feel more balanced and aligned with their core values and desires. Clients learn to connect with their true selves and cultivate loving relationships with their bodies using mindfulness practices, intuitive eating, and using wholesome, nutritious food as medicine, as well as prioritizing and maintaining beautiful, functional, 
inspired spaces as an integral aspect of their sacred soul care. There's so much alignment in the work we do. It's beautiful. Welcome, Julie. Thank you. It's so good to be with you. I'm, I'm so happy to have you. We've known each other online for a number of years, and I think this is the first time we've chatted face-to-face, so I'm thrilled to have you. Likewise. Glad to be here. Thank you. So I um, don't even really know where to begin. <laughs> so I, my father passed in 2017, and since then I have worked on that grief process. Um, give us some context for your relationship with your father growing up and how that impacted you. Oh, gosh, that's a, that's a, it, it's a big one. I know. Yeah. So <laughs> whatever feels, um, whatever feels, you know, right for you to share. Sure. So I grew up in Philadelphia and um, my parents uh, separated when I was seven and divorced when I was 10. I am the only girl. I have three brothers, one older brother and two younger brothers who are twins. So I'm kind of like middle child, only girl, um, which definitely proved to be a tricky role in Mm. my family. Um, And when my parents separated for a variety of reasons, um, the kids, my brothers and I all continued living in the family home with my dad and my mom moved out and um, had a little kind of funky apartment and was juggling lots of part-time jobs and just trying to navigate, you know, being newly independent. Um, But she was still very present in our lives. Um, And there was definitely a lot of drama and intense emotions swirling around in our home, um, resulting from their split. And I, I guess I've always been a highly sensitive little being, just felt a lot. My mom used to call me a universal empath. Mm. And it really wasn't until recently that I began to understand and really kind of embody and integrate what she meant by that, because it's very apparent that that's who I am. Um, so that being said, I think that as a little girl, I was really, um, swept up in and deeply impacted by mostly my dad's big emotions, um, you know, which ranged from probably grief and anger around the loss or the end of their marriage. And, um, what I often I understand now, I think what I felt then and understand now is like he projected a lot of his anger toward my mom um, onto me because I was the most like her, being female and looking a lot like her. And I know now, of course, that he never meant to hurt me or do harm. Um, And I just, didn't really have the tools. I wasn't equipped to know what to do with all of that, like displaced, misplaced emotion mm-hmm. that, that wasn't mine. Um, and so I guess that translated <clears throat> part of how that translated is like, I just really felt like I didn't belong in my family. I felt 
I felt very other and othered. Um, and <clears throat> I felt resented. Mm. And, and later came to recognize that I felt scapegoated. So there was always a sense of like, and I really have carried with me. In fact, my dad actually said the words to me. Well, what I was going to say is um, I always felt like everything was my fault. Mm. And I now understand that, I mean, that I have a memory of coming home from a sleepover um, when I was probably, I don't know, eight. Um, and quickly getting embroiled in some conflict with one of my brothers, which turned into a conflict with all of my brothers. And, and my dad, I hear, I hear my dad's words saying, everything was fine until you came home. So that pierced deeply and stung hard and Mm -hmm. stayed with me always. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of, um, one example of like an undercurrent of the theme that um that's really interesting i'm gonna jump in here and say i had a pretty devastating traumatic moment with my father when i was eight mm. not sure i'm willing to go into the details but it well i guess i will um because they're both gone but um he was delusional in thinking that my mother and sisters were were going to die that day and so he took me and i don't know somewhere and told me they were they were gone and of course as an eight-year-old you believe and you you know grieve and you react and we got home about an hour later and they were there um, there was more to the circumstances, but that was enough. And, you know, I feel so much compassion for our, our, our young selves to, and any young person, you know, navigating the, the emotional landscape of the people around them with no context. So we spend the rest of our lives working on <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Like unpacking that, making, trying to make sense of things that don't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, your share reminded me of another um, kind of significant piece that I I often don't remember or think about, but also age eight. Remember, I was in second grade, and I had this dream and it was so vivid. Um, my brothers and I were getting off the school bus at the end of our block and our dad was there to greet us, which was not typical. And he, so he greets us at the school bus and says, we're going to go, we're going to go buy new shoes. So we're walking back to the house to prepare to go get new shoes. And as we turn to walk home in the dream, he gets shot. Somebody approaches and shoots my dad right in the chest right in front of us and so of course that was terrifying and um and really all i remember is like waking from that dream with such a um overwhelming sense of it being real so mm-hmm. much so that at breakfast that morning i didn't register his presence it was there it was a normal day 
we go to school, but I am just a puddle of tears and emotion and terror because I saw my dad get shot mm-hmm. and I'm at school. I can't stop crying. I explain like my dad was shot. He's going to, he's in the hospital. I don't know if he's going to be okay. And I like created this whole story mm-hmm. and they sent me to the office and they call my parents. My dad ran a school. My mom taught at the school. They, the school administrator calls my dad, my parents' school, um, speaks to my mom and says, you know, is Arnold okay? And she said, yeah, he's fine. He's right here. And they explain that I'm telling this story. And I'm picked up at school, brought home. I miss a week of school. I'm just like so caught in this unreality. Mm. Um, And it was just, it was really traumatic. And until I was probably about 11 or 12, I had like this patch of dry skin on my chest in the exact spot where he was Mm. shot. So it's just a bizarrely intense memory and experience. Um, And I'm not, I'm still not sure what it really uh, signifies, but it was relevant in terms of your share about that dad's delusional state and how that impacted you. Yeah. So how did your experience, uh, how did your relationship with your father evolve during adulthood? Um, complicated to say the least. Um, another quick thing I'll just share about childhood. When I was 10, right when my parents' divorce was finalized, my dad took my brothers and me on a cross-country tri- trip for six months, traveling around in a trailer, and I really didn't want to go. Uh, I just wanted to remain in Philadelphia, live with my mom and just, you know, not leave my friends. Um, So that was difficult. Mm -hmm. And it was a long six months. um, And I was not happy during that time. I look back now, of course, and I really recognize and appreciate what his intent was, why he wanted to share that experience with us. Um, And After that trip, my older brother and I went to live with my mom. My younger brothers lived with my dad. And we lived very different lifestyles. Mm -hmm. Um, And then throughout my adolescence, I kind of bounced back and forth between their homes for a variety of reasons. And um, so I graduated high school living with my dad, then went back and lived with my mom while going to college in Philadelphia and commuting. It was local. And it was during that time that my mom became ill and over a almost three year period of time, finally um, Mm. succumbed to her cancer battle. Um, That was in 1990. And, and you were how old? I was almost 22 when she died and I was 19 when I um, was home alone with her before we knew she'd have been having a number of um, really challenging symptoms um, and getting mm, pretty frustrating results and non-conclusive mm. information from, from doctors. Um, and she ended up having a grand mal seizure, mm. which I witnessed. So I, I saw this happen and I, 
got her to the, I called 911 and got her to the hospital and spent a whole day um, navigating that situation. Um, and then learned that evening that she had three inoperable brain tumors. Um, and meanwhile, right around the time that this took place, my dad and my brothers had all moved to Maine. So I was the only one mm. home to deal with all of this. Um, so that was a whole other complicated, traumatic time um, that is now so long ago. Um, so soon after my mom passed away, my brothers all moved back to Maine. They had come home to sort of be with us throughout her death and dying process. Um, and then several months later, I followed and moved to Maine, um, because I had fallen in love. And, um, so I moved here and Gosh, there's so much. Um, I got some really conflicting messages from my dad. Like, I know that he always wanted the best for me. Um, and I guess I felt really pressured. During the time that my mom was dying, I ended up dropping out of college. I didn't finish my bachelor bachelor's degree. And I know that my dad really wanted me to mm. go back to school. Um, I remember at one time he said to me, you should go back to college so that you can be around like-minded people and, um, find, said something like, and find somebody to marry. And I was like, wait a second. Did you, Mr. Alternative Education, you know, radical thinker, just say to me, your only daughter you should go to college so that you can find a husband. And I was, I was really struck and hurt by that. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like that is a, a really good example of the ways that he kind of just inadvertently, I believe, I know he had good intentions. He was just a little bit, maybe oblivious mm -hmm. um, in certain, certain capacities. And also brilliant. So he was, that was the dichotomy. It was like, he was this genius, brilliant, beautiful mind. And yet he was human and he blundered yeah. and um, a lot. Um, and so I didn't follow his advice. And I was also really intent on becoming a mother. Um, definitely in the months following my mother's passing, I was living alone in Philadelphia. I had a great job. I had a great apartment. I was kind of living the dream. I was 22 years old, newly independent, but I was fixated on motherhood. And it really consumed a lot of my thoughts and energy. There was like just this pull. Mm -hmm. I don't think I knew that then, but I, re I remember it now. And, um, so as I'd mentioned, well, I'd come to Maine to visit, met this young man, fell in love, and um, came back to Philadelphia, wrapped up my life, like gave notice at my apartment, gave notice at my job, packed up, moved to Maine to be with this person. And soon after that, that 
statement from my dad about going back to college and and also telling me that this person wasn't good enough for me, um, even though they were so similar. Um, I just really set my sights on and made it clear to this person, you know, I feel ready to have a baby. It's all I can think about. And he said, that's what he wanted to do. Uh, so we found a beautiful little home, moved forward, made a baby. And very quickly, it became clear that we were probably not going to work out and last mm. as a couple. And so that proved to be true. But we we hung in there for the first year of our daughter's life. And um, there was a, another really telling thing. when my When I told my dad I was pregnant, he was like, he did not approve. And he said, that's a really bad idea. You're going to end up a single mom. And no man is ever going to want to be with you because you're going to be a burden. Mm. I was just kind of like, Lord, like, it's one thing if that's what he thought and believed, but that he said it to me yeah. was pretty devastating. And yeah. in fact, that was what happened. I became a single mom and I was single for a long, long time and mostly by choice. It's not to say that I didn't often long for a right aligned partnership, mm-hmm. but sometimes I felt like he plagued me, like he, or cursed me, I guess would be the mm-hmm. word. I, feel, I I was just kind of like, oh my gosh, did, did he somehow cast this spell and make this be true? Um, so that's, another example of the flavor of devastation yeah i would i would say you know those closest to us almost do that you know because if they're if they're deeply embedded in our psyche then you can't unhear those things and even if you don't believe them there is an impact sure i remember um i was very young so there's that but um I was 19 and, and dating my my first husband. And um, it was the only time I stood up to my father, who was a minister. But he wasn't in the right, my boyfriend wasn't in the right denomination. And um, I was getting, I was getting judgment about that. Well, he's not one of us. And so this authoritarian, narcissistic man who I, you you just didn't cross, I stood up. The only time in my life I said, how dare you? He's a good person. He, you know, listed the reasons. And it's like, and this is, this is what I'm doing. Um, but, yeah, those, those crossroads where they, where they decide what's best for us, right? Yeah, and, you know, I think that's such a critical piece you highlighted there with the use of the word crossroads because I feel like at each juncture in my life at each time point in my life where I was ready to make a big life choice mm-hmm. those were the times when I butted up against our our wills you know butted mm-hmm. heads so for example I remember shortly after my mom died but before moving to Maine, I, well, so this is, 
a tricky thing. I, I recently listened to um, a podcast episode of um, uh, Glennon Doyle's We Can Do Hard Things, mm-hmm. um, where she interviewed the woman who wrote a book titled I'm Glad My Mom Died or something mm-hmm. like that. My mother died, which is a that's a pretty um, loaded statement, let alone mm-hmm. book title. But I really resonated with so much of her story and have always felt a little bit um, hesitant to share that following my mom's death, like there were, there had been, you know, this almost three year period where thoughts of her death and dying consumed me, the uncertainty yes. of like when, how, mm-hmm. what's it going to look like, who will I be, how will I function mm-hmm. without my mom? Um, and then she died. And I felt this sense of liberation and freedom and lightness that I didn't anticipate. And I felt guilty about feeling. And I remember saying to my dad on the phone, gosh, all of a sudden, I feel really excited and inspired to travel. I never even thought about traveling because I thought I just imagined I'd be here for the rest of my life. This is what I know. This is where I'm going to be. And he said to me, well, you can't travel. You don't know enough about the world. And I was like, isn't that how you learn about the world? Isn't that the point? Right. And also I'm like, interesting. Did you say this to your three sons who have all traveled internationally before they left? I mean, and didn't you drop out of college and hop on a Norwegian flight freighter when you were 17 to see the world? Like, isn't that how you learned about the world? Um, so there was that interesting dynamic of, it became more and more clear as I got older, like, okay, he definitely treats me differently than my brothers. Um, so that happened. And then, you know, soon after there was the, the piece about telling me that the, the young man I was involved with wasn't good enough for me and that I should go to college to find a husband, um, And then, yeah, just multiple examples. Oh, when my daughter was three, I fashioned a plan with a dear old friend who I'd met um, actually at that same time when I met my daughter's father when I came for that visit. Um, And we developed a really beautiful friendship. She had moved to California with her mother and her new baby. And here I was, I have a three three and a half year old daughter. And like, things are not going well. Like I'm struggling mm-hmm. to make ends meet and keep a roof over our head. And I decided my friend and I decided like, well, why don't I move to California? And we just try to help each other out. So that's what I did, or that's what I decided. But I was met with a lot of resistance from my father and my stepmother. And I was told that I was being selfish and how dare I take my child away from her family? And I was just kind of like, give me a reason to stay. Like, help me yeah. make this make sense. But I want more for us. And so, yeah, we we really butted heads around that for a long time. I ended up moving. I just assured him. I was like, I have to try this. And no matter what, like, if it doesn't work, it it doesn't work and I'll come back and I'll figure out the next step. Um, but like, I assure you, we're not going to end up living in a cardboard shelter on the street. I promise you that. Um, 
And so I came back nine months later mm. you know, after selling everything I owned. Um, and yeah, there just continued to be. How, how do you feel? Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. How, how do you feel that impacted you? Those, those kind of the, well, we'll call them crossroads, crossroads upon crossroads where you weren't supported? You know, I feel like I have a really clear answer. I feel like my dad's lack of faith in my, or my perce- my perception of his lack of faith in me translated into lack of faith in myself. Mm-hmm. So it has and sometimes continues to show up as not fully believing in my my own capabilities. Um, But what I know now that I didn't know then, you know, I just have example after example after example of times that I have leaned into uncertainty, trusted my intuition, Mm -hmm. um, stood up to this male authority figure and just said, you know, essentially like, you're not the boss of me. Love you. And you don't yeah. know better than me. And and look where you are now. Yeah. Like all the all those places where you yeah, where you said you're not the boss of me. I'm going to do what I feel like is best for me. And um kind of and also just like just like you have throughout your whole life. I mean, my dad was such a um I don't know, like almost mythical being. Like he just defied the odds in so many ways and did, you know, march to the beat of his own drum and did big unconventional things like starting schools and starting a bakery in a rural town in Maine and um, growing it into this really beautiful community hub where um, musicians folk musicians from all over the country, all over the world really came to perform. Um, I mean, he created a lot of really beautiful things and, and contributed a lot to humanity and to the communities that, that he touched. Um, but I, I just feel like this is this dynamic with us of me continually having to meet the resistance from him but that was also in me that said like mm. you have to push back girl you have to show up for yourself and stand tall mm-hmm. in your five foot you know barely five foot tall frame <laughs> um but stand firm in your truth and your inner knowingness like there there are just so many examples of times where it was like my knowing of my truth was so big and so strong and so loud that I couldn't not listen. And I'm just kind of getting this now. Like I know that my dad bumped up against the very same kind of resistance from his mom and he Mm. had to listen to and, and heed the call of his inner knowing and truth Mm -hmm. in order to do and create all that he did. And so I just think it's so interesting that he sometimes seemed so oblivious to the fact that we were having this same yeah. 
disconnect, right? Discord. Yeah. But I feel like, Arlia, ultimately, that dynamic, that is what evolution is. Mm-hmm. That's how humanity evolves. Like, it's it's inescapable and unavoidable that each generation is going to encounter that. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, speaking of which, I felt this, some similar liberation when my mother died. And she didn't die until just a few years ago. But having both of them gone liberated me from the belief systems that they were they lived in but were still carry embod literally embodying in my in the sphere of my life and so i think i know that you know that resistance that discord that that um tension between their values and mine um it was always there and it's it, it and it's we can't help but internalize that and yet when they're gone there's the freedom i felt this this um the spaciousness to be able to work more with those and jettison those that it was easier to let go of those that weren't me all that was not me even though you you can't really overcome the experience of having had them as parents, but yes, it, it was like, um, you know, sharpening a knife, right. It it really sharpens that sense of what is me and what is not me. Mm -hmm. And yeah, in in that sense, it's really, really useful. I remember one time my, uh, my teacher, uh, we did a movement class on resistance and I perceived resistance as purely negative but it's not it's just it's a defining it's it's a defining refining experience that says are you sure is that real is that what you want you know that that makes you have to to be clear find that clarity within yourself and so for that that. yeah it makes me think of how there's duality in everything right so like you're saying you previously thought of resistance as only negative but we can flip it and instead think like, oh, this resistance is an invitation to lean into my growth edge. Mm-hmm. And why are we here if not to find and experience and expand into growth and yes. our, our full potential? Thank you for joining us on this first of two episodes with guest Julie Greenberg. When we talk with Julie next time, she's going to share about the illness and passing of her father and the stand she finally took for her own life. She and I also reflect on how our relationships with our parents look now that they are no longer in the physical realm. I pray these episodes on grief and healing are helpful for you. If you'd like more, please check out thewomensanctuary.com slash podcasts for all episodes or anywhere you get your podcasts. Please like, share, and subscribe. I'm Arlia Hoffman. We'll see you here next time on The Women's Sanctuary.
If you're inspired by the teachings of Dr. Wayne Dyer, you will love the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast with Nadia Dela Cruz. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. My name is Nadia Dela Cruz, and I started the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast to explore spiritual topics like manifestation and meditation with guests who share their own stories of insight, awakening, and transformation. Listen now on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.